All right, how are you? You good? You sound great today, by the way. Uh, I love hearing people sing. Uh, let me um, just give you a, a little insight to the way a preacher's mind works. Um, I, if you were here back in November, I got to preach here. And as a guest preacher, you always want one thing to happen. You don't care if you get invited back multiple times, you just want to get invited back once. You get invited to preach somewhere one time, and they never call you again. You second-guess everything about your life and existence and wonder if you should quit preaching and go sell insurance or change tires for a living. And so I just want to honor your elders and pastors here and just say, hey, thank you for inviting me back. Uh, if anything, it just made me feel a little bit better about myself that it wasn't that bad the first time around and that I got to come back. So uh, last time I was here, I got to bring my daughter, Eliza Kate, and you got to see a picture of my wife, but my wife, Brittany, got to come with me this time, this trip. And we were sitting here wondering, like, because I left Florida and it was like 60 degrees and sunny, right? And when we were planning for this trip, they're like, hey, man, it's like just dumping snow right now. And I'm like, I don't really know what to do with all that. And we didn't even know what to pack. We're like, what do we even bring? So we just threw every like sweater and long sleeve shirt that we had in a suitcase and came here. So, man, we are so glad to be with you again. A uh, couple things have changed since last time I saw you. Uh, one, um, I got a job offer from Acts 29 Network, so now I get to, like, as a side hustle, get to coach church planters and give away money. I tell everybody, I'm like, man, I got the greatest job right now, like, as, uh, as a pastor. I get to coach leaders, tell them what to do. I get to hear all their problems, hang up the phone, and look at my wife and be like, man, that dude's got a lot coming away, got a lot of issues, and I don't have to worry about it. And then the other side of my job is I just get to give away stuff. And so I'm like, I feel like Santa Claus at times. So I'm like, I just get to give away free stuff and be everybody's best friend. And then the next big thing that happened with us is 17 years of our marriage, I tried to get a dog and I finally convinced Brittany to buy us a puppy. So I got a picture of it here. Come on. The most manliest of men of you all of a sudden want a golden doodle. Uh, I, I don't know what it is about a golden doodle. I just wanted one. I think it was just getting to see them. They're all cute and cuddly. Not the most masculine dog. I was talking to some of my hunting friends, and I was like, hey, man, I'm going to get a dog. And they're like, oh, you're going to get you a bird dog? And I was like, no, you're going to get me a golden doodle. And they're like, what is that? And I was like, I don't know, man. I think it's like a mix of a poodle and something else. And they're like, oh, okay, you're one of those hunters. And I was like, all right, like whatever. But man, tell me that thing's not the cutest thing you've ever seen. My kids love him. Uh, I, I've never owned a dog before, nor has my wife, and we felt like we had a newborn again. We literally get home from picking the dog up, we put him on the floor in our kitchen, and we just stare at him, and we're like, what are we supposed to do? And the next thing we know, he just starts peeing everywhere, and me and Brittany have this look, and we have this like conversation, you know, as parents do, you have this conversation that your kids don't hear, and she was like, this was the worst idea you've ever brought home. And so we're trying to figure it out. Um, with River, that's his name. And then you remember there's Eliza K, Whitaker, and Fletcher. So uh, that's the Bettis family. If you got a Bible, let's jump into the text now. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 17. 
And we're going to be looking about, we're going to be looking and learning how to pray like Jesus today. I know last year, kind of the theme around here was this whole idea of abiding in Jesus. How do we saturate the valley with the good news of Jesus through an abiding church in Christ? That like when you abide in Jesus, prayer comes second to it, right? It's just kind of intertwined with each other. The more that I'm walking with Jesus, the more naturally an overflow of prayer happens. As you saturate this year with the gospel, I want to show us how to pray as Jesus did. So first point, it's really just kind of like introductory for you still, but um, write this down if you're taking notes. Just want to give you some context and background on the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Give you some context and background on the high priestly prayer of Jesus. If you were to recall, right, like so for the last several months we've walked through John 13 and then we're starting in John 17. This is commonly known as the farewell discourse. This is kind of the last teachings of Jesus with his disciples before he goes to the cross. You saw in John 13 through 16 Jesus do the following. He goes and he says, hey, I want to share the last supper with you. So Jesus is in the room with his disciples, and as he shares the Lord's Supper with them, he begins to do what? He washes the disciples' feet, and he begins to teach them. In John 14, he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, the Holy Spirit's coming. John 15, he said uh, that you were, are to abide in me, that you could do nothing apart from me, so simply just abide in me. John 16 is when I came and I preached, and I said, hey, this is where Jesus warned. He said, hey, I'm going away, persecution's coming, but it's okay. And all the disciples are like, what are you talking about? Like, you're leaving us, you're abandoning us, you're leaving us here, and persecution's coming. You're telling me that's a good thing? And he says, yes, it's a great thing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is coming. And he says, I'm going back to the Father. In John 16, Jesus promises the coming of the Spirit, and he promises them this. John 16, let me read verses 29 to 33 just as we get some context. John 16, verse 29 says, His disciples said, ah, I don't know if it was like that. I don't know if they're like, ah, this makes sense now. Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, and indeed has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, and in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. John 16, 33, one of my favorite verses of all times. I love how Jesus says, hey, in this world you're going to have trouble. I've said these things so that you would have peace. But behold, I have overcome the world. Take heart. Other, ver- or other translations would render that, hey, do not be afraid. Take heart here. For I've overcome the world. This is good news for you because we know that we look back into time right on the scripture. We know what Jesus is foreshadowing here. He's talking about how he's going to overcome and conquer sin and death at the cross and resurrection. And as he gets into that, he leaves them with those words and then he begins to pray for them. This section is commonly known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's typically broken down into three sections. I'm going to preach section one over the next couple of weeks. You'll get section two and three. But in John 17, 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. In John 17, 6 through 19, he prays for his immediate disciples. And then in John 17, verses 20 through 26, he prays for his later disciples. That would be us. 
So with this backdrop, I know in the course of a few months you've walked through this text. I want you to see, man, this is just really a peek into the window of a few hours here. From John 13 into this, it's not like months have gone by, but a few hours have gone by that this is all happening. And then as Jesus begins to pray, he prays for himself and then his disciples. Go ahead and write this down. Here's point number two in the text. Is that Jesus taught us how to pray to God as our Father and for his glory. Jesus taught us how to pray to God as our Father and for his glory. Have you ever found it fascinating that Jesus prayed while he was on earth? Like, I know he's a religious man, a spiritual man, but I always found it interesting that Jesus, God in the flesh, member of the Trinity, is found praying to his Father. That even though we find Jesus praying at different times with different emotions and intensities, it's a profound reality to see that even God himself in the flesh is praying. Martin Luther said this, that in proportion as this prayer sounds plain and simple, it is in reality, deep, rich, and wide, that which none can fathom. In this prayer, you see Jesus praying, knowing what's ahead of him. That literally in John 18, you'll see in a couple weeks that Jesus is going to get done praying, goes to the garden, and then gets betrayed. That Jesus prayed, even knowing the future to come. How much more for us as people who don't know what tomorrow brings ought to be a people of prayer. Let me read the text again so we just kind of know where we're at. John 17, verses 1 through 5 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given. And this is eternal life that we know that you, that we know that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth and having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Anytime you and I see Jesus doing something in the Bible, we ought to ask two questions. What does this teach us about God, and what does this teach us about the Christian life? When we look at Jesus' prayer, I want you to see two things. We want you to see how God is your Father and how we pray for the glory of God to be revealed. When we're talking about praying as God, as Father, you need to know that there was this radical shift for Jewish thought at this time. Like everybody there knew God as a father of a nation, but nobody knew God as personal. Like there's no concept of this personal relationship with God. And Jesus is introducing to his disciples something that would radically change the nature of their relationship and dynamic with who God is. Let me ask you a question. When you pray, do you pray as if God is your good father? Now let that sink for a moment. When you pray, do you pray and herald your words to someone that you know is a good dad? Do someone out there that is a good father to you? This is either difficult or easy for many of you. Uh, one of the things I, I often ask people all the time just to get a read on them, and I just say, hey, tell me about your relationship with your dad. Let me know what your, what your relationship with your dad's like. And I could usually pinpoint all the issues in somebody's life with that question. Uh, a guy in my church at one point, I remember, we were walking. It was early on in the church. So I said, hey, man, give me a hug. Most awkward hug of my life I've ever been given. He's like, hey, you didn't really know. I said, hey, man, your dad never hugged you as a kid? He's like, actually, no, he didn't. I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense now. 
When you view your relationship with God, whether you realize it or not, through your own subconscious, you are filtering it through your relationship with your earthly father. How you view your earthly dad shapes dramatically your relationship with God. Was your dad passive? Then you will often view God as passive. Was your dad abusive? You also will often think that God is an abusive, hatred, hate, uh, hateful person. Was your dad approachable? Was he encouraging? Was he absent? Was he hard on you? Was he fun to be around? Whether you realize it or not, this directly impacts your view. I'll be honest with you, like my dad was pretty absent in my entire life, and so anytime someone would talk about how God is a good father, I'd be like, yeah, that's good for you. But I have no clue what you're talking about. I have no understanding of what that means or looks like because those experiences shape our views. But thankfully, right, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in you, God right now is transforming and informing and revealing to you who God is. Jesus taught earlier in Matthew chapter 17 how we could approach him as our father. Matthew 7, 11 says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask him? So when you go to God in your prayers, you can look at the Bible. You can look at the Bible and say, all right, man, this is God's word. It's true and it's trustworthy. What does this teach us about God? Well, a couple of things come to mind when we think about God as our Father. That God is near to the brokenhearted. Right? God is not far off, but God is very near to you right now. Like God knows more about you than you realize because he is near to you. Second, we see that God wants us to give him his burdens, that he invites you to it. Right in 1 Peter, he says to cast your burdens, cast your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. We also see that we can trust God because why? As the Psalms talk about and the Proverbs teach us that all wisdom flows from him. He knows all things and he's what? He's generous and he's kind to us. Your God is that. Your Father in heaven is that. Jesus knew every single time he prayed, he was praying to that Father. He knew that the cross was inevitable, and he still prayed. Like even Jesus himself, we find him, right, in a few chapters now, we'll find him in the garden praying. And what is he asking God? He's saying, hey, if there's any other way for the world to be redeemed and reconciled to yourself, would you do that? And he says, would you let this cup pass from me? We even find Jesus in that garden saying, not my will, but your will be done. But I want you to kind of know something here, right? Like even just kind of this little sidebar conversation. That just because we ask God for something doesn't mean he's going to give us what we want, right? You imagine what would happen if you gave your kids everything they wanted? Right, man, they would have like diabetes and have like a sugar coma every night. My kids all the time are like, Dad, can we have ice cream every night? And I'm like, man, I love ice cream, but we ain't eating ice cream every night because I need to put you to bed soon, right? God's, gift and per- God's gifts and his purposes for your life and the things you pray for might not be what you think they are at times. And in that, you will look at God and be like, I thought you were a good, God, good and gracious father. I don't know if I shared this story with you last time. I probably didn't because my daughter was with me. Uh, but about a year or two ago, my daughter Eliza Kate was going through just extreme panic attacks. It was the most bizarre thing. Probably for two years straight, every morning and every night, she would just start screaming. Uh, and I remember thinking one day, I was trying to drop her off at school, and she was just in a ball in my truck. She was just kind of curled over, screaming. I remember just taking a picture of this, and it really made me come back to like, man, I thought you were a good and gracious God. I thought you'd give us good gifts. 
I have this precious daughter, but yet she's screaming at the top of her lungs every day. And I remember thinking in that moment, back to this first time, I'm like, man, I thought he gives good gifts. And I remember thinking, God, I don't know how on earth this is a great gift. I don't know how on earth this is awesome. I don't know how on earth you would be good and kind to my family when my nine-year-old who doesn't even understand anxiety has this. And now I look back and I think, man, if God were to answer my prayer in that moment and just zapped it and took it away, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. I wouldn't know the stories of his grace and his kindness in that. And then when you even look at the life of Jesus, Jesus is praying in the garden, asking God to make it another way because he knows the wrath that God is about to be poured out on him. Sometimes God will give you things that don't seem good and kind, but yet they are. Uh, uh, many of you in this room that are under the age of 30 will have no idea about what I'm talking about, but those of you over 30, you'll be like, and if you're a country music fan, you'll know what I'm talking about here. One of the greatest country music artists and theologians of all times, Garth Brooks. I know some of you are like, Carrie Underwood's the greatest. Garth Brooks was, he was so great, he doesn't even put his music on Spotify. That's how awesome he is. You remember this song, Unanswered Prayers? Man, what a great introduction. He says, just the other night at a hometown football game, my wife and I ran into my old high school flame, and she was the one I wanted for all time. And each night I'd spend praying that God would make her mine. And sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Right, so you got Garth Brooks, he's walking to the football game, and he sees that girl that he wanted to be with for so long, and he's like, man, I'm so glad God did not answer those prayers. I'm so glad God didn't give me every single thing I wanted, but he gave me something better instead. Sometimes the good gifts that God has for you will not be what you think. The things that you have prayed for, I think often me and my wife were talking about this recently, that mean we often pray for certain things to happen, and I would want them to be fixed in a moment, and God doesn't do it. And then I look back on all the things that God had to teach me through that. So this is who we pray to. We're praying to God as our Father, but then we need to know what we pray for. The thing you see in John 17 is that Jesus always comes back to the glory of God to be revealed in and through him. The word glory in John 17 appears a number of times here, right? So pay attention to this. Even in the first five verses, it appears a handful of times. Jesus, in this text, prays that God would do a few things, that he would glorify the Son, that he would let the Son glorify him. He reminds God that he glorified God on earth through the work that he was sent to accomplish, and then he asked God, would you restore me back to the seat of glory in heaven? Because I, he's about to finish the work on the cross. When you think about God's glory in the cross for a moment, you have to see this in his prayer, that this request for glorification included sustaining Jesus in suffering, accepting his sacrifice, resurrecting him, and restoring him to pristine glory. Here's what D.A. Carson says about this. But in this context, the primary meaning of to glorify and to clothe in splendor, the primary meaning of to glorify is to clothe in splendor, as verse 5 makes clear. The petition asks the Father to reverse the self-emptied, emptying entailed in his incarnation and to restore him to the splendor that he shared with the Father before the world began. The cross and Jesus' ascension and exaltation are thus inseparable. 
The hideous profanity of Golgotha means nothing less than the Son's glorification. That Jesus should pray that the Father might glorify the Son is therefore also a moving expression of his own willingness to obey the Father even unto death. Man, when you look at the glory of God, you would think that suffering and it don't go together, but it's ultimately what happens, that God's glory is revealed in the life and the suffering of Jesus. We see, as Jesus says, hey, I glorified you on earth, he's referring back to the time of his sinless obedience and perfection, the teachings he gave and the miracles, but it's also pointing to his work on the cross, that the worst thing that happened to the best person in the world, God was still glorified in it, that Jesus's suffering was displayed in glory and honor, that God will get glory in the suffering of Jesus. And even as Jesus prays, he's saying, hey, the time has come, right? You remember as he teaches the disciples, says, the hour has come. He's referring to what his whole entire existence was for, was to go to the cross and die on behalf of sinners. In Philippians chapter 2, we see Jesus talking, or we see Paul talking about Jesus, how he emptied himself and became like man. So here's the application. When you and I pray, we can pray not just to a supreme deity, but we could pray to God as Father. And we can pray that God would get glory in and through our lives. Like right now, I don't know if you realize this, right? So like I'm from the beach, and I'm really like beach people, I don't know how y'all are as mountain people, beach people, people come to Jackson, they're like, hey, can we go to the beach? The beach? And we're like, man, the beach is dumb. Like why would we go to the beach? There's sand everywhere, it's nasty, and there's seagulls, and, and it's just dirty. I don't want to go to the beach. All my friends from the mountains are like, man, can we hang out at the beach? But then I forget when I go there, I look at the beach, and I'm like, man, just the vastness and the grandness of this, what, does one thing. It displays the glory of God. It displays and shows how big he really is. When you're out there in the ocean, right, like, so I love surfing, so when you're out there surfing, and, and man, you start to think how little you are because you get, like, a little fish comes by your foot, and you're like, I'm going to die out here. The man we got out there is just declaring the glory of God. When you come here, like when I tell people about Utah, and I'm like, man, you just can't explain it to anybody. And like what an amazing thing it is that you get to come and fly into the airport and just see the mountains, right? And you just get to see how that just displays the glory of God. In the Psalms, it talks about how the heavens declare the glory of God, that when you go outside at night away from the city and you just see the vastness of the heavens, right? And you just sit there and you're like, man, the stars are amazing. All that is doing is declaring the glory of God. Habakkuk said this in, in, in Habakkuk. He says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. And we are, as his people are to live a life of glorifying God. We're praying to God as our Father. We're saying, man, he's a good dad. And he has our best intentions in mind. But then we're also praying, God, would you be glorified in me? The Westminster Catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of man? The answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Like your entire existence on this life is to do those things, to give glory to God with your life and to enjoy him forever. I think we tend to err on one side or the other, right? Like we like to glorify God and we want to strive for that or we're just trying to enjoy him. But I think the two come together. That sometimes we often confuse, like, man, what does glorifying God mean? It just means that we're living this miserable life, just trying to be pious and, and not have any fun. I don't think that's what it looks like. 
that, man, when you and I are to live a life for the glory of God, it's just simply saying and asking every single day, God, what can I do to honor you and glorify you? That when, um, I remember at one point in my life, somebody said this statement, when they're talking about giving glory to God and honoring him, uh, they always tie into holiness to this, because as you walk in holiness, it goes together. But I remember somebody saying this one time, they're like, hey, man, you could either be holy or you could be happy, but you can't be both. And I was like, man, that's probably the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I was like, I don't think they work against each other. I, I know, like, I understand you could be holy or you could be sinful. But, man, like, when you think about walking in holiness, when my entire life and aim is to give glory to God, when I am walking in holiness, what does that mean? I'm just simply walking with Jesus, right? I mean, if I'm with Jesus every single day, how can you not be happy? How can you not be full of joy? How can you not live out John 15 totally abiding in Jesus, enjoying him, and not be happy? So your holiness and happiness and your joy go together. And I'm not talking about like happy like the Lego movie, right? Like where everything's awesome, everybody's just having fun all the time. I'm not talking about that because some of you got to look back what does uh, uh, the Hebrews say about Jesus. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That sometimes your happiness and joy comes through your suffering just like Jesus that your entire life in your design was to glorify God and enjoy him forever, not be this robotic, lifeless, joyous pe joyless people. So you were designed for that. You were designed to pray to God as your father. You were designed to give glory to him. What that begins to look like is a simple prayer every morning. You don't have to go out and try to do this. You don't have to wake up and be like, all right, God, Give me a list of ways to glorify you today so I can nail it today. But you simply wake up and you pray a simple prayer. God, give me the courage and wisdom to honor and glorify you with all that I say and do. Amen. And then when you go, you want to know how this looks, man? Just practically speaking. When you go to your work and you walk into an office and you walk, you walk with integrity, you walk with honesty. You treat people well. You know what you're simply doing? You're just living like Jesus to these people, and you're glorifying God in that. When you're discipling your kids and teaching them about Jesus, you know what you're doing? You're giving glory to your Father. I, I know what it's like as a parent. You ever have those moments where you just wonder if you're just like totally messing up their lives for eternity? And then out of nowhere, they just say one quick thing, and you're like, oh, you got this. Oh, you're figuring this out, son. When they act in God's Christ-likeness, when they start to say stuff, my wife was talking to our sons the other day about school, and she was able to like teach them the difference. They're like, hey, your dad, he like does expository preaching, sometimes he does topical. And then my sons are like, yeah, I don't really like this preaching, because I don't know what he's doing with it, and just like, oh, it's because you're used to this. And then she looks at him, and he's like, yeah, that guy's not doing expository preaching, mom. And we're like, all right, this kid gets it. As a parent, you're just simply giving glory to God in that. And I know, right, like, I don't know what it's like to be a mom. I know what it's like to have small kids. Hey, you're probably doing way better at it than you think you are. I know your house is, like, messed up and it looks like a tornado came through there and your kids are, like, destroying the place. But, man, as you sit there and just instill in them the person and work of Jesus, you realize you're just living out the prayer of giving glory to God. 
As you share the gospel with people, you're just spreading the good news about who Jesus is to people. And then, do you see what this begins to look like? Like, man, let me just kind of like shape the vision and mission of what you guys are already doing here. Like, like Church of the Village exists for what? To saturate the, go- saturate the valley with the good news of Jesus. I had it in my notes and I thought I memorized it. You come here, you get filled up by the word of God and music and each other, and then what? God sends you out to every corner of this valley to simply live on mission for Jesus, spreading the good news. And it all starts back with simple prayer. God, would you get glory and honor in me today? You're simply praying just like Jesus did, that your heavenly Father, you look to him and say, hey, my life is yours. Every single thing I have, every thought, every emotion, every action, everything is yours. And work in me today to spread your glory. But there's something else I want you to see in this text. Here's point number three. Is that Jesus made it possible for you to know and be known by God. That Jesus made it possible for you to know and be known by God. I don't want you to miss this. Like like context-wise, Jesus is praying, but I think there's something that we need to see here. In verses 2 and 3, Jesus, as he's praying, he says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus is coming back, right? Remember back in, like, I don't know how long ago. This was probably like two years ago now in John chapter 1. Jesus comes on, and the whole world is spoken through him. Everything that's in existence, this is what he's pointing to. He has authority. And he says Jesus has authority to grant eternal life to whoever the Father gives him. And he says eternal life is this, that they know you. Eternal life is just not about your salvation, but it's about knowing and being known by God personally. When we look at this, that, this little verse here says that they know you. In the Greek, right, this is a, a bigger thing to unpack. In the Greek, this word know is not just about knowledge. It's not just about having an idea of something. Jesus' word in this text is referring to the reality that I have eternal life is not just knowledge of God in the life to come, but knowing God today. That a more robust and true definition for this word know is a life consisting of an intimate fellowship with God. In J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, here's what he says. He says, knowing God involves first listening to God's word and receiving it as the Holy Spirit interprets it. In application to oneself, second, noting God's nature and character as his word and works reveal it. Third, accepting his invitations and doing what he commands. Fourth, recognizing and rejoicing in the love that he has shown and thus approaching you and drawing you into this divine fellowship. Or as Augustine said, those who have eternal life are those whose soul is restless until it finds its rest in him. You could know a lot about somebody and not know them, right? Especially today's time. Like, I, I act like I know Joe Rogan. Like, he's like my best friend. Because I just listen to his podcast. And I watch clips of him, like, trying to sell me stuff on the internet all the time. Like, I about bought one of those jaw things to get a better job because they're like, Joe Rogan uses it. So I know a lot about him. But if I would ever see him in person, it would be awkward, right? Because I don't know him. My wife and I, a couple months ago, we got to go um, to a comedy show. And guess who's sitting a couple seats away from us? 
Trevor Lawrence. Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback. I know all of y'all like Jaguars are horrible. Don't even talk about them. But I'm a diehard fan. So as we were walking in, he's sitting three seats away from me. And I know about him. Follow him on Instagram. Know all his records. Know all his stats. And what do I proceed to do? I, in my mind, I'm like, well, I know this guy. So I'm about to be like, yo, Trevor. And all of a sudden I realized, I was like, he don't know who I am. We're not friends. Like, we don't hang out together. He doesn't even follow me on Instagram. But I know all this stuff about him, but I don't know him personally. The same thing happens in the Christian life, that we know a lot about God, but yet we don't know him intimately. Like, I love studying theology. I love studying the attributes of God. I love to just get my mind around who God is. But there is a disconnect often when I just study him to know more about him, to speak about him, rather than just spending time, as John 15 talks about, just simply abiding in him. You can know God as your king and as your father, but then also as your friend. Now, this one gets a little weird for me, I'll be honest with you. Like, I have such a hard time with this concept of Scripture right now. That Jesus is my friend. That Jesus is the best friend that I will always have. But yet, what happens in John 15? John 15, 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made it known to you. In James 2, talking about Abraham, it says that in the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Here's the truth about God, is that God is the friend who knows everything about you and still loves you. God is the one friend that knows you'll turn your back on him. God knows that we go to hug him if we could, and we got a knife in our hand to just stab him in the back and turn our back on him. But yet, what does he say? You are still my friends. You are still someone I deeply love and care for. You are still mine. J.I. Packer says this also in Knowing God. He says, I can hide my heart and my past and my future plans from those around me, but I cannot hide anything from God. I can talk in a way that deceives my fellow creatures as to what I really am. But nothing I say or do can deceive God. He sees through through all my reserve and pretense. He knows me as I really am, better indeed than I know myself. A God whose presence and scrutiny I could evade would be a small and trivial deity. But the true God is great and terrible. Just because he is always with me and his eyes are always upon me, living becomes an awesome business when you realize that you can spend every moment of your life in the sight and company of an omniscient and omnipresent creator. That God is just not king, ruler of the universe, creator of all things. He's not just your father, but he is friend. I know it's true, but it's hard for me. I know it's true because it's hard to relate to him in that way. Why? Because I'm not always the greatest friend. I got ulterior motives. I got sinfulness in my own heart, but yet God is the greatest friend. So here's the application. It's simply just going back to John 15 and last year's theme here. It's how do you just simply abide in Jesus? How do you simply just walk in his presence? How do you spend as much time as you possibly can getting to know him personally and intimately, right? Just grabbing your Bible and getting on your face before him and asking him to reform and reshape and redirect all my emotions and thoughts.
Because what eventually happens, the more you abide in him, the more you're present with him, the more you become like him. All right, pastor said one time, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your character. Man, what a great invitation that God says, hey, come to me. See me as your father. See me as your friend and pray to me. It shifts our mentality that I have to do for God and it turns it into I get to receive from him. That I just get to be a simply a recipient of his grace, right? To go back to that whole thing, that I just get to enjoy God forever. I just get to enjoy him. He's already accepted you, right? He already died on a cross for every sin, past, present, future. So he already says, man, I love you enough to bring you into this. He's already brought you in as family. And it just shifts us from doing for God to receiving from him. So the last action step for you is just want to teach you how to pray like this. Write this down. That when you pray, pray like Jesus. To go to God your Father by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the Son. That when you pray, you could just pray like Jesus. Just look at John 17. He prayed to his Father, and he prayed that his Father would get glory through him. So as a church, and as we look, right, as we like set out for this next year, I want us to just pray with each other and for each other. Uh, one of the greatest joys that I got to do at our church as a pastor is I just got to make people uncomfortable and awkward, and that's what we're going to do. You good with that? So I'm a guest preacher, so it doesn't really matter. If you're, I don't like that, it's like my emails, elders at cotv.church. But let me walk you through kind of a prayer, God. Like when I say we're going to pray like Jesus, we're going to pray to God our Father. We're going to say, man, like you're going to get your mind around the fact that your Father invites you to spend time with Him, that He invites you to cast your cares on Him, that He invites you to vocalize what's going on in your heart. Like, isn't that a good dad? Uh, like, like, you don't have to have any pretense in it. You ever find yourself trying to, like, qualify your prayers? Like, God, I know I shouldn't think this way. I know I just, like, he already knows what's going on here. You ever rehearse a prayer before you pray it? You ever think about, like, what you're going to say to him as if he doesn't already know? Your dad wants you to come. I love when my sons and my daughter come to me and say, Dad, can I talk to you? Dad, can I say this to you? Can I share this with you? Can I tell you something? Like, he invites you in. So you're going to pray to him as your father. You're going to pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is us going to say, hey, God, just give us faith to believe. Right? Like, you remember the guy in the Bible says, help me in my unbelief. But we're going to pray by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us faith to believe. Why? Because he could do all things. There's nothing too hard for him. And we're going to pray through the Son. What that means is you're going to pray in confidence, as the song we sung earlier, that we have a firm foundation. Like, through the Son right now, Jesus has already mediated for you and I. That you simply get to go in confidence, as Hebrews says. You get to go in this confidence and assurance that anything you pray is going to be heard through the Son. And we're going to pray confidently and with full assurance to let our petitions made known to God. He already knows what you need. He already knows what you want. He already knows what scares you. He already knows what terrifies you. He knows what you're anxious about right now. He knows what you're excited about for 2024. He knows all these things. And we just get to go. And when we pray, when we lift up our voice and say to God, God, these are the things on my heart. Do according to your will and plan. You get to say amen and go in confidence that he hears and he's going to answer them. And I want you to rest assured that your prayers are heard, not because you prayed harder, 
For some of you, you're going to try to go in this next moment. You're like, I'm going to pray like I've never prayed before. Do that. That's awesome. For some of you, you're going to pray and you're going to be half-hearted. For some of you, you're like, man, this guy's making me do this. It's kind of awkward. I'm just going to do it anyways. God knows. He'll hear it. But rest assured that your prayers are heard, not because of anything that we've done, but because of Jesus, that we could go to him because he has promised us these things. And so here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to pray together. As for some of you, you're going to be like, yo, I ain't talking to nobody in this place. I'm just going to sit in my seat. Go for it. For some of you, you're going to say, hey, you know what? I love our prayer team. I'm going to walk forward and ask them to pray for us. But then third, what I want you to do is this, is like the, the, the beauty of the local church is that this place is a family. The reality is some of you don't even know what's going on in your own family. Some of you are going through some stuff. For some of you, you've just tried to fake it when you walked in here and your marriage is falling apart. For some of you, you don't even know what you're going to be doing next week. And the people around you that you call your family have no clue what you're going through. And so what I want you to do is just kind of with the spirit of humility to fill this place with the prayers of people. And what I want you to do is I just want you to look around the people that are sitting in front of you, behind you, beside you. And if you don't know them, introduce yourself to them because it'd be kind of awkward when you go to pray and you're like, hey, uh, God, I'll pray for uh, Joe here. <laughs> don't know his name. But introduce yourself and say, hey, here's what's on our hearts. Here's what's going on at home. Here's what we've been praying for for years and nobody knows about. And then you're just going to simply pray just like that to your Father by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the Son. And so once you stand to your feet, the prayer team's going to come forward. If you want to walk forward, you could pray with them. If not, would you just have the courage to look at the people around you, introduce yourself, and then pray aloud. Wouldn't it be awesome to have this entire place filled with the voices of God's people? So you're going to have a few minutes to do this. Uh, you're going to just initiate. So one of y'all got to be the awkward person and start turning around and saying, hey, my name's Boyd. Here's what I need you to pray for me about. When I walk off stage, you go ahead and do that or you come forward. But we're just going to fill this place with prayer.